Does life have any purpose? What happens to you when you die? Is there really a God and if so, where did he come from? Okay. All right, here we go. We're going to dive in. Uh, we're going to do religious IQ. Now, here's the deal. I want to say it out loud. Uh, we have got some amazing, amazing Sundays uh, set up for you, and we've actually got some amazing speakers to come in and talk to you about this. Uh, we've got a guy by the name of J.P. Moreland, who is probably one of the world's most renowned Christian apologists. He's going to be here for our Sunday on Atheism. I mean, we, we are out of our minds thrilled to have a guy like that uh, coming in. Uh, we've also got... I got to get this name right. We've also got a guy by the name of Al Fadi, uh, who is a former Muslim uh, who began to explore the claims of Jesus Christ and became a Christian, uh, made this decision in his life, and then went back and began to write and challenge some of the teachings in the Quran, and so effectively so that he literally is is um, been had his life threatened, and uh, he's going to be here uh, on the Sunday that we're talking about the Muslim faith. Um, so we got some really cool stuff coming for you and some amazing people to deliver that. But here's what we're going to do the next two weeks, and this is absolutely essential for us, is that before we start to go and talk about, hey, here's where we're different and here's the things that we would believe that don't line up together and here's the places that we would push back uh, as we have conversations with these other faiths, it's essential that you and I know exactly what we believe that is not debatable, that is not up for negotiation. There, there are certain core beliefs that if you say, well, no, 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 I don't believe that. I, that, I don't think that's true, you realize the moment you do that, then you are, you are no longer a Christian faith. You cannot not believe that and still be a Christian faith. And, and I know we live in a culture right now that says, hey, look, who, who cares what you believe as long as you believe something? And as long as it works for you, that's okay. And guys, I'm just going to tell you, that's, that is ludicrous. That, that is absolutely crazy. There are things which are absolutely true. And if you don't believe things that are absolutely true, you will cause huge calamity within your life. You cannot, you cannot say, it doesn't matter what you believe. Let me give you an example about that. Two plus two is four. I don't care if you believe it's seven. Two plus two is four. And if you don't accept that actual legitimate truth as being true, and you just decide, look, I, two plus two doesn't work for me. I, I, it works for me if it's seven, because I like seven better than I like fours. You're going to mess your life up. And I'm just going to tell you this. You're not going to check me out at the checkout stand if you believe that. Uh, if you believe in here today that it's okay to have sex with children, I'm just going to tell you, you're wrong. I will stand here all day long and tell you, you're wrong. And if you go to act on that, I will help them lock you up, okay? Because you're wrong. And there are certain things, okay, there you go. There are things in life that are just true, and if you decide, hey, I can make up my mind and I can decide to believe whatever I want about that, you do that to your own harm. And what I'm going to tell you is, is that when you come to the teachings of Jesus, you've either got to decide that they're true 
or they're not. And if you do, you will do that to your own regret, okay? So we're going to spend the next two weeks just talking for a few minutes about what are those core things? What are those things that we refuse to agree to disagree on? Because the moment you say that, our only response is, you're mistaken. You're wrong about that. Let me see if this helps a little bit. You realize that our federal government has a similar problem, that uh, there's the problem of counterfeiting. In other words, things that look like dollar bills, but when you examine them, they really aren't legitimate dollar bills. Okay, so here's, here's what our government has done in order to not have counterfeit bills passed, is that they've made some marks, some identifying marks on our bills so that you and I can look for those marks, and when they are absent or when they are changed, you immediately know it's a counterfeit bill. So, for example, uh, there's, there's kind of a uh, luminescent ink over here in the corner that, that reflects uh, light. It's hard for a Xerox machine uh, to duplicate that. Uh, there's watermarks on the bill, and uh, you can hold this up, and on a $20 bill, which has the face of Jackson, the watermark on the bill repeats the face of Jackson on the bill. Uh, there's a thread that goes through here and, and actually says $20. So the moment you hold a bill up and it says one, uh, you know that some counterfeiter has erased and washed off the ink and now replaced it from a $1 bill. How many, how many of those things need to be missing before you know you're looking at a counterfeit bill? One. One. And what you and I are going to do for the next two weeks before we start examining other systems of belief and other faiths is we're going to talk about what are those identifying marks that have to be present in order for this system of belief to be okay because the moment you don't, you suddenly realize I'm coming up on a counterfeit system of belief. I'm coming up on a man-made idea about God and it just doesn't hold up to the test of authenticity. What are those things that you and I refuse to agree to disagree on because they're truth? And the minute you deny them, you will do so to your own harm. Okay, so we'll do that for two weeks and then we're gonna get right into doing some examining. This week we're gonna talk about this idea of scripture. And here's why. Every man-made religion, every man-made system of belief attacks scripture. Uh, it's what they do. Uh, they will come to the Bible and they'll say, look, oh, look, you know, uh, the, Bible, the Bible's okay. I mean, it's, it's got some reasonable ideas, but, but here's the problem. Uh, there's some mistakes in the Bible, and there's some passages that, that don't really uh, count, and so you take those pieces out uh, in our system of belief. Or they'll come and say, well, no, 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 it's, the Bible's okay, but you have to add our additional book to the Bible because the Bible didn't tell you enough and so you need our additional Bible, our additional book to help you out. Or they'll say, uh, look, uh, the, the Bible's all right, but we've got this council that gets together and we vote. We vote on which parts of the Bible are good and which parts aren't and then we actually even vote and add additional things to the Bible because uh, the Bible's not complete enough in itself. And one of the identifying marks, guys, that you and I need to know. One of the things that's going to immediately clue us in is when you and I begin to talk to a person representing a system of belief that begins to attack Scripture, and you and I immediately go, counterfeit, counterfeit, okay? So I, I know for some of us in this room, 
And especially for some of us who are even still trying to figure out God, yet you go, well, wow, Lynn, that just sounds uh, fairly narrow. I mean, that sounds kind of judgmental. And here's the, you, it's okay. And you can, you can spend time figuring this out, but here's what I'm just going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to investigate because I'm going to challenge you with some things that we're going to say today and that we're going to say over the next few weeks in this series. And I guarantee you, some of you are going to go home and say, that ain't what my mama told me. Okay? And, and before you write the email, because you're going to write the email, okay, I'm just going to simply say, have the credibility to do your research. Take the time to investigate that what we've said together corporately is accurate or not. And if you find it to be inaccurate, then challenge away. But don't write the email till you've done your research and taken an honest, objective look at what we've said uh, together uh, in the room. And here's what I'm going to suggest to you today. I'm just going to be bold and say it out loud, that the Bible is the inerrant, okay? And that's just a theologian's term for without error. The Bible is the inerrant Word of God, okay? It, it does not have mistakes. Uh, it, 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 it doesn't need help. It doesn't need someone to add something to it. It doesn't need a religious group to take something away. It is everything God ever wanted us to have. It is the inerrant Word of God. Now, I know some of you in the room are going, Lynn, well, you know, wait a minute. I mean, I was, I was sitting in, in college, and, and the professor got up and said, oh, come on. I mean, it's just so obvious, and we all know that the Bible's full of mistakes. You say, well, Lynn, I was trying to share my faith with my neighbor, and we were sitting there. He said, I just, I just can't believe it. There's so, there's, there's, so much, there's so much in the Bible that's just so erroneous and, and so... When someone said that to you, you challenged them, Right? I mean, you said to them, hey, whoa, 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 full of mistakes, uh, tons, of, tons of problems. In the... Show me the passage. I mean, surely you were bold enough in your Christian faith that before you tucked your tail between your legs and folded up your Christian tent and ran in a little corner and cried like a little girl, you asked them, show me which passage you're talking about. Because here's what I'm going to tell you. Chances are they didn't show you a passage. Because, you ready for this? The Bible is the inerrant Word of God, and there are not mistakes in the Word of God. And if, and if by some stretch of the imagination, someone pointed to some passage and said, hey, well, what, what about, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, when you do the research, when you do a little looking, you realize there is not a problem. And a matter of fact, just in case, on the, on the stretch of the imagination that somebody actually had someone in here point to a passage... Um, there is a great book. Uh, it's simply called The Questions Christians Hope No One Will Ask. Uh, it's by a guy by the name of Mark uh, Middleberg, and he actually goes through and, and points out a couple passages in Scripture that every once in a while someone points to, and then he explains, here's why there's no problem uh, there. And if you need that, uh, you can order that uh, through our bookstore. But I'm just going to suggest to you today that this is one of the non-negotiable parts of our faith, that the Word of God is the Word of God without mistake or error, that, that the Bible stands different than every other religious book in the world, okay? Let me, let me give you just a couple ideas why I believe that's true and why that, to me, is an obvious conclusion for all of us to come to. So uh, here's the first one. The Bible knows things that nobody should know. 
The Bible knows things, right? The Bible knows things that it's impossible for any human to know before they happen. How many of you are familiar with Nostradamus? Okay, so we've heard the term. You realize this guy's got tons of buzz. I mean, you turn on History Channel, and, and somewhere they're going to talk about Nostradamus because this, this man made predictions that have come true at an alarmingly high rate. And so the question around Nostradamus is, how did this guy know those things that he should never have been able to know? How did Nostradamus have that information? And it's, it's a talk. I mean, there's buzz about this. Um, anybody know uh, how accurate Nostradamus was? Okay, H how, many, how many would say, I think Nostradamus was probably accurate about 70% of the time? How many say, well, I, 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 you know, I mean, with as much buzz as they got going on, as excited as people, he had to be accurate at least like 50% of the time, right? How many aren't raising your hands because you know this is a trick? All right. Are you ready for this? You ready for this? Okay, the guy that everybody's freaked out about, the guy everybody's going, well, man, that's incredible. How did he do that? You ready? Nostradamus's accuracy, less than, less than 9%. Okay, so all right, all right, all right, all right. If, if, that's, if that's amazing, then, then what if the Bible was accurate 20% of the time? I mean, if the Bible was accurate 20% of the time, that'd be twice as good as Nostradamus. You should have all sorts of secular historians researching the Bible because, you ready? The accuracy rate of the Bible would be twice that of Nostradamus. What if the Bible was accurate 30% of the time? I mean, if, if Nostradamus is remarkable at less than nine, what if the Bible was accurate 30% of the time? I mean, shouldn't we be lining up? You want, you want to hear something remarkable, guys? It's one of the reasons that you and I know the fingerprints of God are upon Scripture. You know what the accuracy rate of the Bible is? 100%. And the Bible knows things, okay? The Bible knows things that nobody should know, okay? Matter of fact, you don't have to turn there right now and just get your fingers ready because we are going to go to a whole bunch of passages in Scripture today, but I'll, I'll read this one uh, for you. Uh, this, is, this is the Bible uh, setting down the requirement for accuracy. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 18, and again, you don't have to go there. I'll read it for you, but this is the standard. Okay, self-imposed biblical standard for accuracy. Here you go. It's Deuteronomy chapter 18, starting in verse 18. Uh, this is what God says. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth. So he's not going to be speaking on his own. He's going to be speaking the things I've told him uh, to say. And he will tell everything I command him. If, he, if anyone does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will hold him accountable and says, look, I'm, I'm going to give the words to the prophet to speak, and if you don't listen, you're going to get spanked. Okay? That's Lynn's translation. All right. Verse 20. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything, anything I have not commanded him to say, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods must be put to death. So you get the moment. If somebody says, hey, I've got a word from God, this is what God told me, and if anything they say does not come true, kill them. Just kill them. So you thought rock and roll was a, a, a current event. No, they were having rock parties way back here. Okay? You take them out, you stone him. Okay? All right. Verse 21. You may say to yourselves, 
how do we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? What if a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord, does not take place or come true? That is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. And so Scripture says, look, if anything that person says is not accurate or true, then all of what he says is to be discounted. It's not from God. Because God requires, you ready, ready, ready? 100% accuracy. And here's the cool part, guys. The L of us that claim to be people of faith is we look at the Bible, can over and over and over and over and over and over and over again point to places in Scripture where Scripture knows things that no human being should know. And it comes to us with 100% accuracy. All right, now grab your Bibles because we're going to go look at one of those places. Go with me to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53. If you're not real familiar, if you go right to the middle of your Bible, you're probably going to find the book of Psalms. Go to the right. Uh, you're going to find this book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read to you a passage. I want you to figure out who is this passage talking about. What person is this passage describing? Okay, so it's Isaiah chapter 53. We'll start in verse 3 together. Uh, here it is. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and his a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Who's that talking about? Jesus. So here's what it describes. Think about this. It describes uh, the fact that Jesus would be on a cross and that God would turn his back. And Jesus there going, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It describes the fact that he would be on a cross and that he, he would be pierced on a cross. It describes his trial and that as he goes to trial, even though people were accusing him, he would choose to be silent like a lamb. Why is this passage remarkable? Because it's Old Testament. Because this passage, you ready for this? This passage was written 600 years before Jesus. Okay, now stop and think about this for a minute. Our country, our country is a little over 200 years ago, old. So from the time from now all the way back to the revolution, little over 200 years. This passage was written over a span three times longer than that ahead of time. Matter of fact, Bible critics for years and years and years looked at Isaiah 53 and said, look, this is one of the obvious plagiarisms of the Bible. There is no way 
in the Old Testament that these guys would have known this. It has too much New Testament theology in it. They're talking about crucifixion 300 years before Rome even comes into power and even begins to use crucifixion as a means of capital punishment. There is no way that passage could have been written before the time of Christ. Somebody came back and added it to the Bible. 1948. A Bedouin boy is out watching his sheep in a hilly country outside of Jerusalem. Uh, one of his sheep runs up on the hill, and uh, rather than having to crawl up the hill to shoo the sheep down, he picks up a rock to throw it at the sheep to scurry the sheep down the hill. The rock misses, and as the rock flies on by, he hears something break. He goes up to investigate, and lo and behold, a cave, and inside the cave are ceramic jars, and inside the ceramic jars, you ready? Copies of the book of Isaiah. Anybody want to guess what one of the passages was within the cave? And when they went to date it, they found the copies to be literally hundreds of years before the time of Christ. How does the Bible know what no one should know? if God didn't write it. Take the prophecies of Jesus, guys. There are, there are literally, I think, over 100 prophecies about the life of Jesus. But just take the ones that you and I can measure statistically. In other words, how do you measure a virgin birth statistically? I mean, how many people ever in the history of the world have been born by a virgin? I don't know. Jesus and then a couple loonies. You know, I, I don't know. You know, how's... You can't do that statistically. But there's an awful lot of the prophecies of Jesus you can do statistically real easy. How many people have ever been born in Bethlehem? Because the Bible prophesied Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. The Bible prophesied that he would grow up in Nazareth. There's, 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 there's some that are very easily converted to statistics. If you just take eight of the easiest, most offendable prophecies of Jesus, take them to statistics... The odds that any man could ever get just eight of them right. Are you ready for this? Ten to the 17th power to one. Now, for those of us in the room who are not mathematicians, that odd is one quadrillion, 100 quadrillion to one that any human could ever do that. There haven't been that many people living on the earth in the entire history of the earth to even get there once. Matter of fact, look, just to help you out with this a little bit, okay, the odds are better that you would go out today and buy a ticket for the lottery and win, and then go buy a ticket for the lottery tomorrow and win tomorrow, and then go buy a ticket for the lottery the next day and win again, ready, 10 times in a row, the odds are better than that one human being could have fulfilled the eight prophecies of Jesus Christ. How does the Bible know what no human should know? Because God wrote it. It's an easy answer. Okay? Let, let me give you a second thing to consider as you think about this. There are crazy stories in the Bible. Have you caught on to that? There's some, there's some wacky, weird stories in Scripture. I mean, they're, they're, they're out there. And one of the things that has been a criticism of the Bible for hundreds of years has been, you can't believe that. Whales are swallowing men. Come on. That's, that's just, 
that's, that's got to be, that, that's got to be legend. That, that's got to be, that's got to be someone exaggerating and, and, and hyperbole. It can't possibly be true. Okay. Grab your Bibles. We'll go to one of the stories. It's the book of Joshua. And if you're not familiar, again, go to the front of your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Joshua chapter 6. Okay, so just to set this up, this is the moment in Scripture when the children of Israel have gone into the promised land, and, and the biggest city in the promised land is, is a city by the name of Jericho, and the Bible tells us that two chariots could ride around the tops of the walls of the city of Jericho because they were so massively uh, huge and strong. So the Bible then describes that the children of Israel were commanded to go and march seven times around the walls of Jericho, and on the seventh time they were to blow trumpets, and that the walls of Jericho fell down. I mean, come on, okay? Matter of fact, here it is. It's Joshua uh, chapter 6, uh, verse 20. Here's what it says. When the trumpets sounded, uh, the people shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so every man charged straight in, and they took the city. Now, here's the, how, many, how many of you have NIV? How many don't know you have NIV, but you do? All right. All right, so this is going to be one of those moments where I'm going to say to you, hey, look, uh, this is not necessarily the greatest translation of that passage. And, and you need to understand, too, when, we, when a pastor says that to you, he is not discounting Scripture or its accuracy. The Bible was originally written in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, and now English scholars have had to try to take those words and put them in English. But the reality is, guys, you and I have so many ancient manuscripts to go back and look at. It's why I can sit here today and say to you, look, we can confer with those ancient manuscripts and look, and I'm just going to tell you, I don't think that as the writers of the NIV translated that Hebrew word that they did it justice. As a matter of fact, when you get to the King James, when you get to the New American Standard, as they translate the word collapse, it's to fall flat, to fall flat. And I just don't think collapse captures the meaning of the word. Here's why that's important. Because the Bible here describes that the walls of Jericho fall flat outwardly. Because if they'd fall inward, fell inwardly, they'd have fallen on top of the houses, they'd have fallen on top of the occupants, they wouldn't have been flat, and the army of Israel couldn't have run in. They would have had to climb over the top of it. And the passage is saying, no, the walls fell flat, and they literally used the walls almost like a path and ran right into the city and sacked it. And you need to know that Bible critics for literally hundreds of years said, there you go. Man in the belly of the whale again. This is, this is water standing up in the Red Sea. It's just, it's ludicrous. It, there's, how would walls fall outward? I mean, if there were armies attacking the city, they would have pushed on them and they would have pushed in. Or even if you want to argue there was a big wind, you know, a big wind would have blown one set of walls in and then maybe the other set of walls out. But you can't get the walls off. I mean, the people inside would have had to push all the walls out for them to fall out. It's a crazy story. You want to hear something interesting? When archaeologists found the city of Jericho and they got to the walls, guess which way they fell? Out. Matter of fact, uh, in his book, uh, The Signature of God, uh, Jeffrey Grant uh, cites this. Here it is, quote, uh, During the excavations of Jericho conducted between 1930 and 1936, Professor John Garsting 
found one of the most incredible confirmations of the biblical record about the conquest of the promised land. He took precaution of preparing a written declaration of the archaeological discovery, signed by himself and two other members of his team. And here's what it said. As to the main fact then, there remains no doubt the walls fell outwards so completely that the attackers would be able to clamber up and go over the ruins into the city. Now, guys, I'm just telling you, when remarkable, remarkable stories that we, on first glance, go, look, there's no way that happened. I mean, the only way that could happen is if there was a miracle, are confirmed. Then here's the deal. I have no problem believing that whales swallow men. And I have no problem believing that the Dead Sea stands on its edge and lets the children of Israel pass through. Because things that could not happen any other way than the hand of God that Scripture describes have been confirmed by archaeology. Third thing, okay? So not only does the Bible know things that no one should know, and not only does archaeology confirm some of the most outrageous stories within all Scripture, but here's the third one. You ready? Because Jesus said the Bible was special. Because Jesus said the Bible is the Word of God, period. Matter of fact, grab your Bibles and go with me to the book of Matthew. It's going to be the right in your Bible. Or you can go to the back and work to the left. It's Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 18. This is Jesus telling you and me about the Bible. Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, Jesus says, I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear. So get this. Until all the stars you see burn out, until the sun goes away, until all the universe that you look up into the heavens and see, until that's gone, until the earth that you live on grows cold, okay, until they disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. You, you get what Jesus just said. Whatever you think is constant and real and true. So, so the idea that says, hey, if I drop a rock, it falls to the ground because there's this law of gravity. Uh, the sun always rises in the east. Uh, disco is going to make a comeback. Uh, whatever it is, that you believe to be absolutely true in this world, you just need to know, it is more likely that all of that will pass away. Heaven and earth will fade away before one word of this, before one crossing of a T, before one dotting of an I in Scripture fails. I didn't say that. Jesus said it. Here's the thing I think is just absolutely remarkable. There are Christians who will say, hey, I believe in Jesus. I'm just not sure I believe in the Bible. See, no, I believe in Jesus as my Savior. I think he was the Son of God. I believe all that stuff. I just think the Bible has mistakes. I, I think there are places in the Bible that are outdated and are no longer applicable today. I, I believe in Jesus. I'm, I'm just not sure about the reliability of the Bible. Do you realize the magnitude of that statement as a Christ follower? 
that in the moment you say, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in the Bible, you realize in that moment you're calling Jesus a liar. Because Jesus said, not one word of this will ever be found to be untrue. It is more likely that heaven and earth would pass away than you would find a mistake here. So here's the thing, and I just want to say this all because we're going we're to get ready in the next couple of weeks to start examining other faiths. And I'm telling you that one of, the, one of the absolute characteristics of a man-made religion, of a man-made, of a counterfeit faith is they will always attack Scripture. And I'm just telling you, the moment they do it, they're wrong. And, and if you want to call that closed-minded, you can call it closed-minded. I'm just telling you that's what Jesus said. It's the identifying mark that you've got this wrong. And you and I can have confidence in that because the Bible knows things that nobody should know. And archaeology verifies some of the most radical stories of the Bible as being absolutely true. And then, guys, the one that ought to stand all by itself is Jesus said, this is the Word of God. It will not fail you. It does not have mistakes. So the minute someone attacks this, you know their teaching is counterfeit immediately. I think there's some other application for you and I today. One is this. If this is the Word of God, then it is not the book of suggestions. It's not the, hey, if it makes sense to you, then why don't you try this book? Which means that if you and I are truly followers of Christ, and Jesus has said, this is my Word, this is true, then, then you and I are compelled to obey it in everything. See, you and I can't say, oh, all right, all right, all right. I know the Bible says forgive. I get it. I get the Bible says forgive people. But here's the deal. The person I'm mad at, the person that I'm angry with, they're a jerk. I mean, they're a jerk. If you took a vote on my block, if you asked everybody at work, they'd say, they're a jerk. And I'm just telling you, you don't get, you don't get the past. You go, you know, God's not up there going, oh, wow. I didn't think about forgiving jerks. I, wow, I didn't even think about that when I wrote that. So you can't, you can't say, uh, hey, uh, th this whole thing about having sex before we're married, I, are, you, wow, are you kidding me? I mean, I mean what, what's that about? I mean, that's just so out of the times and it's so different than what culture, I mean, and, and besides, besides, I love them. And God's not up there going, oh, well, if you love them, I mean, wow, yeah, sheesh, everybody knows it doesn't apply then. No, 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 I know, I know what Scripture says about going out and getting drunk, but I got a designated driver. Oh, okay. Designated driver makes it on. Hey, guys, this is not the book of suggestion. It's the book of life. And every single time... You live in violation to it, you do it to your harm, and you're wrong. You're wrong. Here's the second thing I think you and I ought to get this morning, and it's simply this. You ask people who don't know Jesus why they don't want to be a Christian, and more likely than not, you know what their answer is? Because I met a Christian. 
So what they're really saying is one of two things. I met a Christian who's so disobedient to Scripture, their life is hypocritical. That's the first part. Or the truth is they don't even know what they believe. They have no idea. You know, they say they're this follower of Jesus. They don't even know what the Bible says. If I was to ask in this room for volunteers, and I was to say, look, here's all I'm asking. I'm asking for anybody in this room who's willing to come up on stage right now and recite the 27 books of the New Testament in order. How many volunteers? Who's going to volunteer for me? Come on, 27 books of the New Testament in order. You'd come up and do it if I asked you to. How terrifying is that? See, you and I are saying this is the Word of God. It's what we're living our lives by. And if we're just dead honest, we don't know it very well. And that ought to embarrass our socks off. It's one of the reasons your church is constantly pushing you and saying, guys, you need to go to the mine. You, you need to go to one of our small churches. You, you need to get into a small group. You, you need to go to a men's Bible study. You need to go to a women's Bible study. Because how are you going to live this stuff if you don't even know what the Bible says? And I'm, I'm just going to tell you that, guys, if, if you walk away with nothing else, you ought to walk away today going, look, I, I'm just going to take 2013 and I'm going to know the Word of God better. Because it's inerrant. And it's true. And every time I disobey it, I'm wrong. And I'm going to stop being embarrassed about being a grade school Christian in my knowledge of Scripture. And I'm going to change that in 2013. Okay? You and I believe the Bible. Ready? You and I believe the Bible because the Bible knows things that no human can know. Because the craziest stories of the Bible are authenticated and validated by archaeology because Jesus said, this is the Word of God. And the minute someone challenges that, the minute someone gets off and says, no, you've got to add, they are a counterfeit faith. Because they're denying something that we know to be true. Let's bow our heads. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we, just, uh, we come before you this morning. We just want to say from the bottom of our hearts how thankful we are that you gave us Scripture that we have something to confidently hang our faith on. And God, there are just some of us in this room right now who we've been making excuses. We've been saying, I know what God says, but I love him. I, I know what God says, but he's a jerk. And we have been in disobedience to Scripture. And some of us in this room right now, Jesus, just need to say, I'm, I'm done. I'm done arguing with God. I'm done arguing with the Bible. I know I'm wrong. I know I'm wrong. Some of us uh, in this room need to be a little embarrassed today. And we need to say, look, if I'm just honest, I, I don't know my Bible very well. I, I've been so casual in my faith, and I've been just coming on Sundays and thinking that was enough. And the truth is, I need to get serious about knowing Scripture. I, I need to get involved in some place that's going to teach me. So it's the mine or whether it's small groups or small church. I got, I got to start digging more and more often in my life. Because it's the Word of God. And I've been neglecting it. God, do, do what you need to do with us today. In Jesus' precious name, amen.